Today we are continuing our focus on unity as a church family, and uh, we are uh, going to look at a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verses 12 through 27. And I want you to read this passage with me today, uh, not out loud, I'm just saying following along as I'm reading it. But I want you to read looking for Paul's sense of humor. Uh, you know, so one of the things that, that we oftentimes don't equate with Paul because he seems to take some issue so seriously is that he has a sense of humor. And today, in today's text, uh, that humor is going to be apparent when he talks about things such as, well, what if the body were all a nose, you know, and just, you know, try to imagine that in your mind, and you can see that, you know, he is, he is trying to present his case with some humor, which I think is a beautiful thing for us to draw, not only from the Apostle Paul, but uh, wherever we can in Scripture, Jesus even himself, in some of the parables that he teaches, he is striving to utilize humor to get important points across. And so, uh, you know, Christianity uh, it welcomes humor to the table. And so today, we're going to pick up on some of that from the Apostle Paul. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, and some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye. Would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how could you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, uh, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. And if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. The word of the Lord. 
Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be found pleasing and acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to make a point right at the beginning of this sermon that to have unity in a church family does not require uniformity. I offer up this definition of uniformity to help ensure we are on the same page with one another during this sermon. Uniformity is a state of being the same in form, composition, or degree. It is a condition of being consistent and unchanging in a specific way or across a group or a society. Uniformity is the state of being the same. When I was in college, students thought that they could recognize if you were in a particular Greek fraternity or sorority based on how you were dressed. For example, if you were in one fraternity, all the members tended to wear duck head khaki pants, polo brown, polo brand shirts, and Timberland boots. As soon as they welcomed the new pledge into the fraternity, uh, it seemed as though they were immediately taken uh, shopping to get the fraternal uniform. That's a manifestation of uniformity. And the belief, superficial as it might be, is that if we all dress alike, then it strengthens our sense of unity. However, that group, that group could still have had unity, even if some brothers wore ripped jeans, tie-dye t-shirts, and Birkenstock sandals. Unity doesn't require uniformity. There can be individuality expressed among people in the community, and unity still be preserved. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church. A church that was birthed in a very metropolitan port city, filled with people from very different ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds. Paul didn't want the Corinthian church to demand uniformity from its members. He wanted them to believe unity was possible while honoring individuality. Paul refers to the church in Corinth as the body, and that effectively encourages them to think of themselves as being united, although each person brings variety to the community of faith. Paul concludes verse 12 unexpectedly, in my opinion. He says this, but all its many parts form one body. And here is what I find unexpected. So it is with Christ. That's an unexpected conclusion to verse 12. Because I would have expected him to say, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with the church. Instead, Paul says, so it is with Christ. Why does he end verse 12 this way? Because the church serves as Christ's body and represents 
his risen presence in the world today. A theologian by last name Bittwinger writes this, In order to accomplish his work on earth, Jesus had a body made of flesh and blood. In order to accomplish his work today, Jesus has a body that consists of living human beings. So here in verse 12, I believe the Apostle Paul is emphasizing that the body of Christ, the church, is comprised of a rich variety of individuality and a deep unity due to our shared relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And as emphasized in verse 13, where we read that we all have been given the one spirit, we are to understand that it is through Christ's spirit given to each and every one of us that we can enjoy unity without requiring uniformity. In verse 13, Paul refers to the reality that this spirit-granted unity will be known in the midst of ethnic diversity and social class diversity. Actually, a better way for me to interpret what Paul is teaching is that the spirit nullifies our being inhibited from unity because of ethnicity or social class. Verse 13 teaches us because of ethnicity, or verse 13 teaches us that there are no legitimate reasons for Christians to be separated because of ethnicity or class or social strata. There are no first class Christians. And there are no second class Christians in the body of Christ. All of us are to be treated as equally significant to Christ and therefore equally significant to one another. Let me add that Paul is not asking anyone to somehow disavow their ethnicity or their social strata to be a part of the body. Rather, as themselves, they should neither be exalted nor put down based on the variety of their ethnicity or social status in the world. In verses 14 through 27, Paul teaches how these two themes of unity and individuality are not exclusive of each other in our physical bodies and therefore should not be exclusive of each other in the church body, the body of Christ here on earth. Throughout this section, Paul makes three facts about the church very evident. And the first fact he makes evident is every one of us in the church needs one another. Paul humorously suggests that it would be silly for the foot or the ear to feel like they aren't a part of the body because somehow they deem themselves less important than a hand or an eye. As humorous as this is, we all know that sometimes we don't see ourselves as important or necessary as others in the church. 
Paul, though, also, uh, or Paul emphasizes this because he knows that sometimes feelings of inferiority can lead to our isolation from one another. But Paul also presents in verse 21 that another divisive attitude is superiority. He says that the eye cannot tell the hand, I don't need you. So whether we suffer from attitudes of superiority, thinking we're better than others, or whether we suffer from attitudes of inferiority, thinking that we are less than others, these attitudes are not meant in the body of Christ. Because if they're allowed, whether they're allowed within us or they're allowed within others, it will lead to fracturing the body. What Paul suggests is that every individual part of the body is important and necessary to the body as a whole. Likewise, every individual member of the body of Christ is important and necessary to the church as a whole. A body without an eye, or a foot, or a hand, or even a spleen doesn't operate like it's intended to operate. It's the same with the church. If we're missing one of us, we don't operate at full capacity. We need to have unity on this core value that every one of us is important and necessary if First Presbyterian Church is going to function at full capacity serving as Christ's body in the world. At the church that I served in Fort Wyoming, a vocalist on the contemporary worship team suffered from ALS. He could only maneuver in a wheelchair. His wheelchair prevented him from being on the chancel with the rest of the team because there was no wheelchair ramp. It affected the vocal unity because he couldn't get on key with the other vocalists um, because he was so far away from them, and vice versa, they couldn't get on key with him. Uh, they were just too far apart because he was off to stage right, not able to roll his chair onto the chancel. Someone asked me one day, if they donated some money to the church, how would I like to see it spent? That's a special question. I don't get asked often. <laughs> but I, uh, I shared about how I wanted to get this vocalist onto the chancel. And they liked that idea. They paid for making the chancel wheelchair accessible. The first Sunday that I saw all the vocalists all together on the chancel, including the wheelchair-bound vocalists, it felt like our worship team, and therefore our church body, had become more unified. Because having all the vocalists on the chancel together was making a statement to the church family that we are all important and we are all necessary. We need each other. The second fact that Paul emphasizes in this longer passage from verse 14 to 27 is this. Every one of us in the church 
is different from one another. And it's a good difference. <laughs> Just as an eye is different from an ear, and that is good, because the eye makes it so we can see, and the ear makes it so that we can hear. Paul is making it plain that each part of our physical body is unique, distinctive, irreplaceable, and not redundant. Your right eye isn't redundant because you also have a left eye. Your right ear is not redundant because you also have a left ear. We need two ears and two eyes for us to function at full audible and visual capacity. You know, I am appreciative of there being two ordained pastors on staff here at First Presbyterian Church. That's not a redundancy in this particular body. Pastor Joshua and I might each be a pastor, but we have notable differences, such as hair. <laughs> or the lack thereof. And that is good. It's good for us as our different individual strengths are put together to provide a stronger pastoral leadership here in the body of First Presbyterian Church. I am blessed, and you are too, when we get to hear Pastor Joshua preach, rather than having to hear me every Sunday. Our body functions at full capacity with two pastors. It's not redundant. Right, Joshua? Right. <laughs> The third point that Paul is trying to make in this larger section of our passage is that every one of us in the church is to care for one another. In verse 24, the Greek word for put our body together is synecharasin. Synecharasin. Which has the basic meaning of mixing different parts together for the purpose of mutual support and interdependence. Synecharasin is sometimes used for describing when different colors are mixed together. Now, that's a fitting description of what God is doing within the church. You put yellow and blue together. They together, and only they together, make green. You put red and blue together, they together and only together make purple. Our church is meant to be different parts mixed together so that all of us have the support and the interdependence we need to experience unity as the body of Christ. Paul calls on us to be so close with one another that we are affected by what is happening to others. Think about how closely an eyelid works with an eyeball. That eyeball would care, like the whole body would care, if somehow your eyelid stopped working. What your eyelid contributes is vital to the function of the eyeball and thereby is vital to the production of the whole body because the body needs the eyeball. 
And when you get a crusty eye inspection, whereby the eyelid is clamped shut by hard mucus, your whole body wants to take care of the eyelid to get it opening up. So, we share in one another's suffering, and we also share in one another's functioning joyously. Now, verse 27 tells us that each one of us together comprises the body of Christ. All of our individuality, which isn't lost in the least, can find unity through our shared faith in Christ so that we function like a body. And this is what God's plan is for us. God wants us to discover a sense of belonging in the body of Christ. God wants us to discover a sense of having a distinctive contribution to offer in the, this life by being a part of the body of Christ. And God wants us to discover a sense of responsibility in the body of Christ as we take care of one another. Our fulfillment as people is found in being a part of the body of Christ. We find our sense of belonging, our sense of distinctive contribution, and our sense of personal responsibility through our shared unity in Christ. And it does not require uniformity from us. What unites us, as said earlier by Paul in verse 13, is the Holy Spirit. And what allows us to reject uniformity is that we accept our needing one another, our being different from one another, and that each of us needs to care for one another. Through needing each other while being different from one another and caring for one another, the world, the world outside the church, sees the unity that Christ gives to his people. God has designed a community to enjoy unity without demanding uniformity. We can have unity in what we believe and expressions of individuality as we live out God's purpose for our lives together the way God intended for life to be lived. Now today, in our convergent worship experience, and that word convergent, again, uh, means that we draw on the past as much as we draw on the present. In that convergent worship experience, we will affirm our unity by saying a little bit of the Heidelberg Catechism. In the questions and answers being shared, we affirm that the church has unity through agreement in the true faith, and that the church rejects uniformity, encouraging its members to employ their different gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members of the body. So, before we do that, let me just tell you a little bit about the Heidelberg Catechism. First off, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, was commissioned by Frederick III. In fact, he's called Elector 
Frederick III, and he was in charge of a certain portion of Germany during the 15, middle 1500s. But he commissioned that theologians uh, in Heidelberg, where there is a university, uh, would put together this catechism. And uh, it has been, since 1563, the most widely ecumenical confession from the Reformed era in, throughout the church. So more denominations and more churches, even if they're independent, draw on the Heidelberg Catechism than any of the other Reformation-era confessions, which means it makes it a good unifier. It expresses unity in a way that certain denominations can retain, so to speak, their individuality. Now, the purpose behind Frederick III commissioning the Heidelberg Catechism was multifaceted, but one of the primary purposes he had was he already saw in the section of Germany that he was overseeing that there was a fracturing of the body because there were beginning to be offshoot Protestant churches, and they were quibbling over different issues and doctrines and what he wanted to do with the Heidelberg Catechism is say, here's the essentials of the faith that we all must agree upon to remain united while we can still be individualistic as congregations in our expression of how we carry out and live out the truth. And so that was the purpose behind it. And so today, I think we um, are touching base, if you will, with our roots from the Reformation by looking at question 54 and question 55, which address this unity and individuality within the church. So I'm going to read the questions, and I'm going to ask you to recite the answers. They're there in your bulletin. And by the way, um, in the first answer, second to last line, it's not agreeing in truth faith, it's agreeing in true faith. So, um, so anyways, uh, just a spelling error I wanted to point out there. But I invite you to stand. And let us confess what it is we believe, utilizing the Heidelberg Catechism. What believest thou concerning the whole Catholic Church of Christ? Question 55, what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common, partakers of him, and all of his riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know to do his duty, readily and cheerfully, to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation. 
God, we profess our shared belief in these truths that the Apostle Paul has espoused through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. And Lord, we uh, share in the unity of your church as it uh, finds its shared faith described, inspired by Scripture and the Holy Spirit in this Heidelberg Catechism. Help us, Lord, to be that united body without demanding uniformity and blessing and allowing our individuality to uh, make us truly a unique body of Christ here on earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.